0: Podcast Revolution Network presents
1: The Way with the Noah
0: Podcast Revolution Network presents
1: The Way (laughs)
0: Anyway,
1: we're the Noah. <laughs> Evening, Kim, how are you doing? Thank you so much for I, joining me.
0: I'm great. So how are you, Anoa?
1: I am doing well. Um, I'm really excited, you guys, because, uh, you know, there are so many wonderful people out there to talk to, and I cannot find or always, you know, identify, you know, potentially good guests on, on pertinent topics, but shout out to Michael Salamone who connected me with my guest this evening, um, Kimberly Crawley. Uh, Kim has a, a, a pretty awesome background, something that I have such a basic, <laughs> basic understanding of. And, and, you know, there's been so much conversation about issues of, you know, technology, info security. You know, of course, so much has come up with Russia and bots and things of that nature, and when Michael reached out to me, he was like, yo, I got somebody I want you to talk to. They're really intelligent. They're really smart. Have a lot of great commentary, you know, in this area, you definitely should connect with them. And so I was really happy when Kim was responsive. And here we are finally connecting and having this conversation. Well, um, I'm
0: honored to be on your show. You have a great show, by the way.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So just, 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 can you just give us just a little sense of your background with writing and, and just experiencing this, this, this
0: field. All right. I have been a cybersecurity journalist and blogger for roughly the past decade. Uh, At the moment, I write for many different websites. Uh, They're pretty much all the uh, corporate blogs for cybersecurity product and service vendors. So one of the companies that I work for is Silence that makes an AI driven antivirus product for enterprise? Mm-hmm. I write for Tripwire's blog, The State of Security, and they do cybersecurity services for the enterprise, such as cloud services security hardening. Uh, I also contribute to Alien Vault's blog, oh, and they, ma- they make security information and event management systems. So they're computer security systems that, again, would be used in a data center, basically. Okay, okay. And I also write for Vanafi's blog, and they make SSL software for HTTPS web services. So they basically do, like, the certificate software for the encryption that's used by HTTPS.
1: Okay, wow.
0: Yeah. Um, over the summer, I worked for Sophos's Naked Security blog, and they're another antivirus developer, and their Naked Security blog is very popular in the industry. Uh, I've contributed to Info security Mag. That was just a one-week temporary gig I was substituting for someone else. So yeah, at any given time, I work for several different companies in my field. Okay.
1: Okay. Wow. Very cool. So just, just thinking about, you know, cybersecurity, info security, I mean, because we've, we've had a lot thrown at us post-election, and there's a lot of, you know, language that's been used that, again, I can do the real, ba- like, I know most of us can do the real basics, right? We know how to, to do virus scan on our computers. We understand about ad blocks, some of us. We understand about, you know, malware, basic things like that. But there have been some really, like, interesting concepts that have been thrown out, you know, whether it has to do with the election integrity stuff or just, just thinking about, you know, cybersecurity as a whole. What are some of the things that you think that, you know, from just your own work and, and just, just your own, you know, research and reading that that maybe folks, you know, who, who are just kind of just more basic understanding? What are some things that we should be, you know, understanding and, and, and learning more about to have a better Feel for
0: the industry. Well, one of the most important things I could explain to any layperson is any information that you put on the Internet, you should think of that as being public. There are some corners of the Internet that feel private because mm-hmm. only you are supposed to have access to it, like your webmail inbox, for instance, or your Twitter direct messages. And whatnot, but you should still think of that as being public. Obviously, like for example, for Gmail, mm-hmm. only you are supposed to have access to your inbox, but at any time, certain Google employees could look at your email. Oh, wow. Right? Not all Google employees, but there are certain ones who would be authorized to access your Gmail inbox, they might have to have some sort of justification for it. They might have to have a search warrant from law enforcement, but there might be other situations where they can look at your inbox and it's kosher and you might not necessarily be notified of it. Anything like I send direct messages in Twitter all the time. I assume at the very least that certain Twitter employees can have access to that. And also, if you put it on the Internet, it's prone to being cyber attacked or otherwise known as being hacked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are, I don't have a lot of secrets on the Internet. The ones I do have are the kind of secrets that it's difficult to avoid not having, such as the passwords to my accounts for various Web services. Uh, I don't have a lot of financial data on the Internet, but I have done some online banking. Those are my secrets. If if that gets leaked in a a data breach, I'm as screwed as anyone else who's subject Mm -hmm. to that would be. But I at least the things that I say on the Internet, I think of that as being public. Right. So it might it might help people if they just think of things that way. Another thing is there are a lot more systems in our everyday lives that are being put on the Internet. Mm -hmm. Like 30 years ago, your medical records would not have been on the Internet. They might be on like a hospital's internal network that's not connected to the Internet. More likely they would be in paper files in someone's file cabinet somewhere. But they wouldn't be accessible on the Internet. And as soon as you put something on the Internet, all of a sudden you've opened up a big amount of risk for someone to hack it. Right. And now these days, not only are our medical records on the Internet and access to our financial data and your credit card information, if you go on Amazon and you enter your credit card number to buy something, they encrypt it as best as possible, but it's not 100 percent secure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that's a risk that you got to decide, am I going to take that risk or not? But then there are some other things like you don't have direct control over how the bank handles your own data. You know, your 90-year-old mother could go to the hospital and all kinds of medical records could be made about her. She might not use any computers in our everyday life, but being a part of modern society now, she has data it's right. on the, it's accessible on the internet and it can be hacked.
1: Right. Right. What I think um, is really, I just, this was, what I think just going back for a second, like all of this stuff, because I think that when we create accounts, right, we think, okay, this is my account. I have my password. My password's really complicated with special characters and numbers and upper lowercase letters and stuff. So I'm good. But I think when I was just thinking about what you were saying, just, just, it just, I was just sitting there listening to everything you were saying. I was just thinking about Gmail. Cause I know I've heard things about Gmail, But I think about so many organizations, particularly like, you know, grassroots folks, so because Gmail has Google has so much that's free, right? So many people Mm -hmm. use Google for their work. And when we look at these times right now, especially with some of the sensitive issues with potential, you know, government, you know, uh, 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 monitoring of activists and different movement work and things like that, it really is. You know, interesting, like you said, that some, not necessarily that's automatically going to happen, but that some people, that your stuff is not automatically absolutely private from, from, from like Google employees, for example, or at least some of them. Um, and just thinking about, you know, how we need to be conscientious and safeguarding, you know, our information when we're doing, you know, activism and stuff. So that was just something I think, was thinking of. And then, like you said, like, if you are someone who has never really had a profile or anything, you know, online. But if you're going to the hospital, because you do, you get those emails about monitoring your records or getting your prescriptions or whatever, all your personal information is somewhere or another is out there. And I I don't know how much we really process that, um, how much more about us is is available.
0: Exactly, because we are now far into the information age. So we're all vulnerable in that way, even if we try to live like the Amish.
1: Right, right, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, and, and just, 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 just that's, that's, I think that's really good. I think it's really good that we, we take consideration, you know, for the way our information is put out there. Making sure we're putting out information that we're, we we do not to the best extent of our ability, we don't mind that it's out there. Like, it's not the end of the world if I wrote this piece and it's all over the place. Because, you know, I wrote it and I put it out there, but there there is some information that is, I guess, more... Um, you know, sensitive, that, that still people can possibly find access to, what are some of the major issues, I, you know, that you, that you run across um, in doing what you've been doing?
0: Data breaches happen all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I report on data breaches so often now that I'm starting to get really jaded about it. I remember one of the big data breaches from last year was the Equifax incident, Okay. And 143 million Americans were affected by that data breach. So I would be willing to bet money that you were one of them. And there are also millions of Canadians who were also affected by that breach. Okay. And chances are I was one of those. Right. Because all of us adults in society, there is some credit agency like Equifax that has credit information about us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it seemed like the people running Equifax, all they cared about were the profits. Right. And they didn't really have they didn't take cybersecurity seriously. And now all kinds of sensitive information about us, you know, accounts that we have with the bank, whether we have a mortgage or not, you know, that sort of thing has been leaked, and it has been sold on the dark web to cyber criminals. And knowing as much as I do about how to improve my cybersecurity, I could have not possibly prevented that from happening to me, Mm -hmm. because it's out of my hands. Equifax has the power, and the banks have the power, and I have no power.
1: Right. Right. So... So as we look, just, just, just since so much of my focus and work has been in terms of, like, grassroots organizing and progressive activists. But the, the, the Equifax one I think is a really good point because particularly with, with some of the issues, like, I remember, I remember like, seeing stuff about it. and you're right, you know, we probably all are in some ways. There have been other data breaches that I know that have affected even me. Like, with the Home, Depot, the Home Depot and Target ones, well, the Target one, because of having a Target account, I know that that was one I remember Um, that affected me. And I remember after the Target one, anytime I would use my Chase card at Target, Chase would automatically flag the transaction and I wouldn't be able to like, and I would call them. They're like, yeah, yeah. They would, you know, the fraud thing would come up and I'm like, I'm near my house. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Finally, like I had someone tell me, I was like, no, because they had all the breaches and stuff. So they automatically just flag any credit transaction that came out of Target. And I was just like, that's that's odd. And and even if I ran it as a debit transaction, like i ha- I had it, you know, it would do that too. And I was just like, this is the oddest thing. But that was their way of trying to handle. Hello. It. Hello. Hello.
0: Okay, sorry, you broke up for oh, sorry. a second.
1: Okay. Was that they would, um, you know, they would flag anything I if I if I use my card at Target, like the rest of the day, I'd get flagged until I called them. And it was just because it was such just such a ripple effect. Because of the, the data breach that happened with Target, this caused an effect. And I, I know I talked to other people, and they were like, yeah, I had similar issues too. And it would just be such a, such a problem across, your, you know, just, just your regular use and enjoyment and being able to, to make purchases and stuff. Because I am one of those people who just, I just don't carry cash. And we've gotten so reliant, yeah. even though the technology is so invasive in some ways, we've gotten so reliant on the alleged convenience of it.
0: Yeah. And that was completely not your fault. It was completely out of your hands. Uh-huh. And Target messed up. And it impacted all kinds of different areas of your life. And I'm really sorry oh, you had to go through that.
1: I think it's when you go through stuff like that, though. It, 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 I think it'd be really bad if it was something like really cat- catastrophic that happened. But like that type of inconvenience, I think, really just helps open <clears> your <throat> eyes, right? to this type of stuff when it happens, and, and we start trying to figure out like kind of what we need to do to maybe safeguard ourselves individually. It's hard because we do end up trusting these major corporations and these big banks, you know, because you know there's so much in terms of credit transactions and things like that. So we do unfortunately end up trusting people with our information because it's supposed to be convenient or easy or whatever, but it, it, it can have these more serious like repercussions um, down the line.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to avoid that now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, I guess, if you decided not to have a credit card and if you decided to pay for everything in cash, you would lower what we would call your attack surface a little bit. Mm-hmm. But some things you just cannot avoid, like your medical records, right. like your bank account. If you have a checking account, you can kind of avoid having a credit card, but try avoiding not even having a checking account.
1: Right. Right. So. Wait, that's difficult. So, in thinking about so there there's there's been, you know, a, a, a lot of conversation about, um, like with, with 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 the with the hacking with the election stuff. There's been a lot of conversation about even that type of stuff being another form, potentially another form of identity theft. Um, With identity theft, I mean, the data breaches, you know, obviously you can give way to issues with with identity theft because I can't remember which one was it. I remember I got a free membership or whatever for one of the different softwares to monitor, um, you know, my credit report and make sure there wasn't anything on my, my, under my my social security number or anything like that. And they act like they're doing you a favor, (laughs) They give you that stuff, but it's like, I wouldn't need this, but for your screw up. Um, But, you know, what, what are some things that even like advocacy wise, right, that we can kind of make demands of whether it's our local governments, because they, they also have issues with data breaches and stuff. I know we've had this problem here in Georgia, our secretary of state accidentally like made available, like people's social security numbers and other private information that are in like the voter databases or whatever, accidentally and you know that that has been like kind of what uh scraped uh, uh you know swept under the rug but yet and still we do have these issues happening what are some safe what are some safeguards or what are some like things that people can advocate for maybe to, to, to demand better protection of our our our, our data
0: that's a good question. Uh, I'm not so sure about the financial services industry. Mm-hmm. I know that in the United States, you have a lot more banks than we have in Canada. Okay, okay. And yeah. I also noticed things like if you have a bank account in a bank that only exists in one state, you might not be able to access your money if you're in a different state.
1: Okay,
0: yeah. Which for me as a Canadian, that's, Bullshit, because our Canadian banks, it doesn't matter where in Canada you are. Okay. Um, okay. I think that we have a limited amount of power as individuals, especially as individuals who aren't billionaires. Uh, my mom used to work on the equivalent of Canada's Wall Street, which was called Bay Street in 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 Toronto. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't learn a whole lot about the industry through her, though, or anything. But there isn't a whole... I I don't... I wonder how much power we have as individuals. I I worry if different financial institutions collude with each other to lobby for their industries to be more and more deregulated. Mm -hmm. If... But if there's a billionaire who has a checking account at the same bank that you do, maybe that might improve things from your vantage because Wall Street will care if a billionaire complains about their bank account not being secure. But they might not care about a million of us who have less than $10,000 in our account. So there's only so so much much that we have power over, especially under a capitalist system. Mm,
1: It always comes back to the capitalism.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So. It always
1: comes back to the
0: capitalism. Like when I go to the bank and I complain about something, there are certain financial regulations and consumer protection laws in Canada that are supposed to protect me. But I know that if I had millions of dollars in my bank account, my bank would be a lot more helpful to me than they are to me not being a rich person. Most definitely. Right. So we're kind of screwed. Right, right, right. So
1: <laughs> we're kind of screwed. I mean, but that's basically here in the stateside that that's been the, that's been basically the way. It's been with banks for uh quite some time with you know the series of you know deregulation and stuff in the industry that's happened and particularly post uh the financial crash that happened in 2008 2009 i mean we have been kind of screwed and at the mercy of of big banks that were quote unquote too big to fail and did and yeah good stuff um so it is it is a challenge um I gotta state
0: that, you know, I have my own political views and I you know, my political views aren't necessarily those of the companies I work for. Okay, yeah, definitely. My personal views are if you can do your best to support politicians like Bernie Sanders, Mm -hmm. like Elizabeth Warren, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. Nina Turner, she's really good, or like members of the DSA. the Democratic Socialists of America, if you can do everything you can to help out their campaigns and try to help with their campaigning efforts and try to vote for those kind of candidates as much as you can, if people band together in large numbers to try and do that, it might have some impact. Mm-hmm. Because I would trust Nina Turner. To, for instance, to support laws that would necessitate better regulation of the banks and better cybersecurity for the banks, I, I wouldn't I trust Chuck Schumer through. so much. You know what I mean? Right.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean, I think you pull point out a really good point though, because a lot of this stuff does require a certain level level of oversight that comes from having, um, you know. That comes from having good people in the positions, you know, of power and authority to kind of negotiate and advocate for things. And you're right; it does As we've already seen historically with Chuck Schumer, that's not going to come from the types of protections that we need to see for consumers, for individuals. We're not going to see that coming from a Chuck Schumer. We, if we have a Bernie Sanders-style candidate, Elizabeth Warren obviously has, has had a career, you know, with consumer protection and and was instrumental in the creation, the establishment of the Consumer Protection Bureau state side which is now under one of the many things under attack under this current our current administration here but um but I, I do think that you that is a really good point and um i definitely understand needing to make the notation that your political views are definitely separate from your work so i definitely appreciate that um statement as well but just yeah. just from just from just thinking about the way in which so many people are engaging with social media now and, and, and again, like we just talked about putting all our information out there, you know, what should people be taking into consideration as they're, you know, the more they're getting active and really relying on your Facebooks and Twitters and things like that to, um, to just share and disperse information and putting their own information out there?
0: Well, it helps just to have that mindset of whenever you post something on Facebook, whenever you send an email to someone, whenever I tweet something, to just assume that the whole world can see it. Mm -hmm. So it's a mindset. It's just just, you got to start thinking differently. Right. Uh, You make a good point with all those social networks like Facebook and Twitter and whatnot because they use something called OAuth. Okay. I'm willing to bet that there are a lot of web services that you sign into and you just log into your Twitter or to your Facebook or to your Google account in order to authenticate into a web service that has nothing to do with Twitter or Facebook or Google other than using your account to log in. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. I I do that, too. I have all kinds of web services that I authenticate into using my Google account, using my Twitter account. So those systems, those APIs are called OAuth. So that's another point of vulnerability. That means that if someone hacks my Twitter account, not only does the hacker have access to my Twitter account? They have access to all the other web services out there that I use my Twitter account to log into. And I know that risk is there and I still do it because it's convenient. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And it is convenient and that's how they get us, right? It's convenient, it's so simple and easy. The one login for everything type of thing. But um, it can be problematic if something were to happen as well, uh, especially if you do have a lot of information and stuff that is attached to your Facebook account, for example. Um, I can imagine. So, so yeah, it is really convenient. But I think, I think just keeping those basics in mind, like you talked about, is really crucial and important. Um, so, I wanted to ask you about something else, real quickly, that, that is slightly, I mean, not really off topic, but just. Doing so I saw that you had a series on women and information security. Yeah. <laughs> and this is I'm pretty, very proud of that one. Well, I, I, I figured. I was, I was like, I should, I should, even though I had one track, I was like, no, because I, I was trying to. And again, you guys, like I needed I needed to go and look some other stuff up to understand because the way this sister processes information is on a whole nother level from what, what my basic understanding is. But you, you definitely seem to know what you're talking about. Um, But I was really excited when I saw this series that you had done on women in information security and highlighting women in the field. And I thought that was, one, that was really awesome, not just because it's great to know about women in fields, particularly when we're traditionally unrepresented in a lot of the tech fields, but, two, the fact that you are holding up, you know, and holding, to, to use the activist term, holding space, you know, for other women who are doing this work. And I just thought that was really awesome. Can you just tell us a little bit about you know, this, this, this series that you, had, that you did and what kind of promote, prompted you know, this, this,
0: this effort? Well, first of all, I must give a public shout out to a man, Joe Petit, who is the content uh, director for Tripwire's The State of Security blog. He is the first editor in my industry who seriously took a chance on me. Mm -hmm. And the first things I wrote for Tripwire's The State of Security blog was my Women in InfoSec, or Women in Information Security, interview series. So a lot of the success that I have now in my career, I really have Joe to thank for that. Um, It's a great pleasure to do the series. There are so many women in my industry, who are absolutely brilliant, and it's so exciting to get to talk to them and talk about their careers. And uh, there's one person I interviewed in that series who is not a woman. They enter. They uh, they identify as a non-binary femme. Oh, okay. okay. And there are also a couple of transgender women that I interviewed in that series. So. When Isley, who is the person I interviewed who identifies as non-binary, I decided, well, okay, yeah, sure, I'll interview Isley. And I decided that even though the name of the series is Women in Information Security, I'm actually open to bringing attention to anyone in my industry who is a Mm -hmm, mm non-male. And I really pissed off a lot of transphobes on the internet with that attitude. Oh, but, wow. oh, well, it's, what? you know, it's not my fault that they live in the past. So <laughs>
1: I love that attitude.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, in 30 years from now, we're going to think of transphobia the way we thought about, you know, the kind of homophobia that existed in the 90s. Right, right. We're on the right side of history. Absolutely. Uh, one of, the, one of my motivators for writing that series, and I've had women come to me and say, you know, I'm really proud of my cybersecurity career, but Kim, I would rather they think of me as a cybersecurity person or a systems administrator or a network administrator or a malware researcher or whatever and not think of me as a female Malware researcher, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I can understand that because I don't introduce myself as, hi, my name is Kim and I'm a female cybersecurity blogger. But on the other hand, we are marginalizing the industry because it is a boys' club. Anything, computer technology or STEM in general, is male dominated. Right. And a lot of the problem is the mindset of people in Silicon Valley, and a lot of the problem is our culture. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, when I was a little girl, I showed some signs of possibly having a promising computer technology career. When I was seven, eight, nine years old, I used to fix all the problems with my dad's computer. Oh, nice. So that should have been a sign that, oh, maybe this little girl can grow up to work with computers. hmm But all of the images in our popular culture of computer geeks are generally male. And also black people get excluded, too, because people think of a computer geek as being a white man or an Asian man. Right. Right. So so those cultural messages that we get, they affect the way We behave, and I didn't enter the information technology industry until I was 25 years old. And 25 is still pretty young, but a lot of people have IT certifications or computer programming jobs when they're 18. So compared to that, 25 is a bit of a slow start. I would have had my first IT cert when I was a teenager if I thought that I had any potential to be a computing professional. Ooh, that's interesting. So I kind of hope that there's a little girl out there who sees one of my women in information security interviews and thinks, oh, malware researcher is one of the jobs I could consider doing when I grow up.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think that's really dope, though, because, like, you're right. And also, even if someone might be encouraging, they might not know what information to give them. Like, I have a 16-year-old, and she dabbles with programming and things like that every once in a while. And she's kind of, you know, she's kind of on the fence about what she wants to do. But it, it is good to have a sense of being able to point someone in a direction, whether you actually have that knowledge base, cause, since I don't. But at least I know how to help her find the information. And for a lot of people, they don't have that. And I think, you know, your series, which is what I really liked, and actually you just made a really good point, which reminds me, I should, I, I, I need to show this to her so she can check it out for herself. But I think what you were just saying about having people share their experiences about the different types of work, because, you know, we know about programmers, but we don't know about all the other intricacies and, and just different things that are potentially possible in that, you know, realm of, of professional, you know, positions. And so I think that, you know, from, from, from the excerpts that I read, I did really like that, you know, it was, you know, an actual interview with people talking about what they do and what motivates them and stuff, and just listening to you talk about it. And then also the point about, you know, pissing off the transphobes, hey, I'm all for that. Um, (laughs) I think, you know, again, to use my activist language is, you know, holding, holding up space and really helping people share their stories and their accounts is how we break down we continue to break down barriers within these professions. I mean it's not going to happen throughout most I think
0: there are people in Silicon Valley who are very progressive mm-hmm. but then you see things like the Google letter. Yes. Like the Google memo. Right. right. <laughs> and that seems to indicate that there's still a lot of sexism and racism in the in the tech industry. Not everyone but there are a lot of those people out there, and sometimes they get into positions where they can make hiring decisions. And I hear that a lot of companies, including in the tech industry, have corporate policies where, for instance, they want to hire candidates who are a good culture fit.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> but culture fit tends to mean someone like me, right. the, the, Someone who is demographically like me, they are a good culture fit. And if they're not, then it doesn't matter if they test well on their computing skills. They are a bad culture fit. So it's like it's sexism and racism and whatnot with a kind of shiny coat on it. Are you there?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I'm here. I was just thinking. That, okay. that, 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 that point about the Google memo and the culture fit, that's actually really a really good point too, right? Because that is something that is used against us, you know, to, that, that is a way to, that language is used to keep a very particular, you know, uh, a, a person in those positions while excluding so many of us. Because you can't say, you know, I want, you know, straight white men from certain backgrounds. But, you know, you talk about, oh, it's about a certain culture, and if you only have certain people in an environment and you want to continue to maintain that culture, just like you just said, then you're they, that's how you're weeding out people demographically without it being, you know, overtly discriminatory. And that's another issue that, that definitely needs to be challenged and tackled.
0: Exactly. So, yeah. This is good. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I, sometimes I feel like my industry is full of, like, techno-libertarians and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I tend to be a lot more left-leaning than mm-hmm. a lot of people in my industry. So, so yes, yeah, so you met you met someone who has a cybersecurity career who actually supports the abolishment of capitalism and stuff like that. <laughs> and how does this... this
1: do you ever figure, Do you ever feel like sometimes like your your work and your personal political beliefs are at odds with each other?
0: That's an excellent question. Uh, I'm very careful about what I write. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I do have a lot of common ground with the companies that I work for, like okay. Silence and Alien Vault and all that. We all care about cybersecurity. That's good. And you can look at that as being politically neutral. Yes. And in their industry, they, those are profit-making organizations. They're not nonprofit organizations. So they make money by making products and services that make people and businesses more secure. Mm-hmm. But we all have the common goal of wanting to promote the proper use of those products. So I will not necessarily go on political rants when I write something for a corporate blog. Because what I write reflects on the company as well. So not everything is obviously political and I can write about technology without
1: uh, without making
0: something look like they've picked up an issue of the socialist worker or whatever. Right, right, right. But yeah, I mean, it's just like if you're working for any other company, there's, there's your public side and then there are your own opinions. Right. So, I really like the companies I work for. They make really good products and services and I'm really proud to contribute to their blogs. So, so it doesn't matter if my political opinions are, are different uh-huh. from the people in the company because we do have common ground and a common goal of wanting to promote cybersecurity, definitely. Yeah.
1: I think that's a really good point, though, about the fact that we can have our own, we can have differences. I mean, because that that is about just regular, you know, just regular societal stuff, too. You can have differences politically with them. But where there's the common ground and it's about doing good work, it, it, it's not that it doesn't matter that you have differences, but those differences don't necessarily, will not stop you from doing that good work and making sure that something like cybersecurity which is a common interest and, and should be something that we're all working towards and make sure that, that we have access to and that is appropriately being applied, you know, that, that whatever differences exist aren't getting, won't get in the way with that. And so I think that's a really strong point.
0: Yeah, and there are all things that would exist without capitalism anyway. Like ah. if, if we had a socialist <laughs> system, with how dependent we are on computers, there would still be a need for antivirus software, for mm-hmm. instance. hmm Mm hmm. Absolutely. So the companies I work for, they make good products and I'm proud of them. And I think they're great.
1: Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> no, very cool. Um, well, this has been really great. I really appreciate chatting with you. I would love to have a follow up conversation sometime in the future. I probably have to ask you some more questions <laughs> offline to make sure I can start conversing more intelligently about the subject matter. But I really appreciate us connecting and us having at least this initial conversation, and I
0: look forward to connecting with you some more and doing some more work. I'm honored. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'll gladly be on your show anytime.
1: That's great. Thank you so much, Kim. Have a great evening, and thank you. You guys, this was a, a, a brief foray into it, like I said. like I, I was really excited to be able to talk to Kim, and I definitely want to do some more research and get to talk to her offline so I can learn a little bit more so that we can have more in-depth commentary on the topic of, 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 of information security and cyber security as well. So this has been another Dish Way of Fanoa. Thank you so much. Good night. And then I'll just clip the rest of this out. So thank you. I appreciate
0: it so much for talking with me. That was great. Well, thank you. Yeah, You're, I, I know from having.